Please please turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as we will be looking at the first part of this chapter, the first 12 verses. This will be where we begin looking at the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his many, many travels throughout this book. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to see it in a different way, that you would help us to understand that these aren't just mere stories, but they are the truth, they are the hope for eternal life, they are the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. So I just prayed that this is not a mere story, but it is a story, and I think we can all appreciate that, and we, we're surrounded by stories in our day-to-day lives, right? We have our like folk stories that are less and less of a thing, but then we have like books, and which are even less of a thing, and then we have movies, which everybody's into movies, right? Um, but books, movies, folk stories, everything, they all tell, or a lot of them tell, stories about journeys, long journeys that are usually perilous and and difficult and usually have to do with some extremely difficult task with some very good prize at the end. In ancient times, you had stories like Beowulf and uh, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey that, that match this. In our own Christian culture, we have Pilgrim's Progress that isn't that old really, but it's still very famous, much loved work. In secular culture, you have stories like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, uh, Harry Potter. All of them involve these long journeys with some sort of insurmountable obstacle in front of them and some sort of all-encompassing prize at the end. The Bible is full of these kinds of stories as well. The big difference, obviously, with the stories in the scriptures is that these accounts are real events that actually happened. The Exodus, Israel's march from Egypt to the Promised Land. David's escape and hiding from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. Israel's exile and then return back to Jerusalem. Jesus' 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Today, in our text, we have the very beginning of Paul's missionaries' journeys, which were long. Why do we like these stories? Well, because in many ways they mimic our own journey through life the trials, the difficulties we face, how we see people overcome those difficulties, how we're able to do that ourselves from time to time, whether it be fiction or true stories. We we like these kinds of things. And so for today, our focus is going to be on the church that sent Paul and Barnabas away. Why they sent them. What might have kept them from sending them. What obstacles that the missionaries faced when they were sent out. Churches are called to send missionaries into the harvest field. In fact, we are all missionaries in many ways to our local mission field, of course, which always needs to be cultivated. But then there is this area beyond, to the ends of the earth, is what Jesus called us to do. So these things must also be considered, and that's what we're going to look at today. Everyone agrees that there should be missionaries and that we should support them. But how are we actively practicing that? 
think the text presents us with a challenge, especially for a young church like ourselves. What are we doing about to the ends of the earth portion of our calling? So as we consider this text, I want to bring out two main ideas. The church should be sending, and the goal will be accomplished. And so with that, we will read the text, Acts 13, 1 through, verse 1 through verse 12. Please stand with me as I read from God's Word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus, who was with a preconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the preconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of our Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the preconsul believed when, they had, when the, he had saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. couple things before we get into the text. First, the note that Saul's name has now been changed to Paul in the text. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is a Roman version of that same name. It may be significant, probably to show the ministry of which Paul would lead, a ministry to the Gentiles rather than the Jewish nation. We shouldn't look at this as Saul evil, Paul good. That's not the idea. It's just two versions of the same name. But it is significant that Luke chose not to use the name Saul again. And Paul introduced himself as Paul. And I think, again, that had to do largely with his audience. Another thing, something that Paul says in this passage about making crooked the straight paths of our Lord. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Remember, the apostle was very versed in the Old Testament. He was was very versed before he was uh, converted even. And he often quotes it. This is an example of that. Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read the first few verses here. Comfort, comfort my people, 
says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Paul says, make straight the paths of the Lord. Same or very similar words that we see here in verse 2 of Isaiah 40, or verse 3. Again, this should make us think of another herald of our Lord Jesus, one that was very early on in his own ministry, the man John the Baptist. Remember this prophecy that Jesus said was concerning the man John the Baptist. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. What is this message? The message is for Israel, and that message should be one of comfort. Her warfare has ended. Her iniquity has been pardoned. These promises are yes and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate comfort promised to the people of Israel and to the whole world. And verses 3 and through 5 there, these are John's message. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, what was John's message, John the Baptist? Repentance. So then the preparation that was to happen in the hearts of people, this making straight the paths of the Lord was is repentance in the hearts of the people. I have, or I think, that having this passage in mind as we look at today's passage in Acts is going to be very important to us. That this idea of repentance is really the mission of the New Testament church. I think it's very helpful. Our mission should be one of comfort, but only comfort that repentance brings. Belief in Jesus Christ is the only one that can end the warfare of the human soul, who can pardon the iniquity that we've piled up for ourselves. I think as we read about Paul's journeys in the coming chapters, it will be very easy for us to probably focus on his trip and all the trials and tribulation that he's having rather than what God is doing. And so we might even want Paul to be the hero. But the real hero, of course, is Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the first point the church should be sending back in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were at the church in Antioch, or at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is an account of this church in Antioch, which we've looked at before. Remember, Antioch was growing up to be a very significant church there in the early church. One interesting figure here is Simeon. Many think this could be Simon of Cyrene, who is mentioned in 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke who helped Jesus carry his cross at, at one point and whose sons are later mentioned in Romans, a very important figure in the early church. Whatever the case is, these folks were leaders in the church, prophets and teachers, and they were praying, they were worshiping, they were fasting. The Spirit of God comes down and speaks to them and says, Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to do. And they sent them. It's pretty straightforward, right? We read that and we're like, oh good, that's what they should have done. But a few important things that we need to think about here. First of all, um, this idea of the Spirit speaking to the church speaks to us today, the Spirit does, through the Word of God. We aren't receiving any special revelation anymore. I know that you've heard me say this many times, but it needs to be said again. If you believe that you've heard God speak to you, you should tread very carefully. Uh, You rarely hear anyone talk about the Lord leading them to do something that's hard or that they don't want to do. It's usually the Lord simply affirming what they're already doing, even if it's bad. Sometimes people say, well, the Lord's leading me to do this. I don't think that's the case. If you read Scripture, the times that the Lord speaks audibly to people, it's very rarely an easy message. This is a great example of that. Here are the leaders of this growing church. Remember, Barnabas was sent to check on Antioch. He gets there. He realizes the church is growing so quickly that he needs Paul. He sends for Paul. Here they are. This church is growing. They have two very gifted men in Barnabas and Saul. And the Spirit comes down and says to them, essentially, send your most gifted men away from this growing and thriving church. And they did. That would have been difficult. That should cause us to pause. Because I think for us, the kind of comfort that we associate with the gospel and with the church is really an American construct. Okay, I have my church, my plan, my story. Everything's going good. For churches, maybe that's like, okay... We have really good leadership. Everyone is happy. Let's not disrupt the status quo. Here's some money you guys send missionaries. We have our crew together here. Thanks. We don't need anything else. Yet, the example of Scripture is that Antioch did what? They sent their absolute best. So the question for us, and I think for every church really, why aren't we sending Why are foreign missions increasingly neglected in the American church? I think it points back really to a belief or a lack of belief in the absolute sovereignty of God. And if you think this is a non-reformed problem, I'm actually speaking more of the reformed church. We claim that we believe in God's sovereignty, but when it comes to sending our own people away, we really struggle with that idea. We want someone else to send their children to the mission field. We'll gladly send our kids away to what, like a, you know, a two-week kind of sightseeing tour to a safe country. But sending them away permanently is something together, altogether different. Because we're afraid. We worry about what might happen if our people go to a place that isn't safe. Because God isn't capable, as we are, of watching over his saints. And if we're honest, that's our sin here. So we have to be careful of that. 
Our denomination, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, its foreign mission board is asking churches all over, all of its churches, to pray specifically that the Lord would raise up missionaries from within our own congregations. And again, not from other churches, but from our own congregation. Not only that, but they want us to tell them, we think these two people, the Lord is preparing for missionary, or to, for missions work. Send those names so that they can begin praying, so that they can begin fasting, so that they can be, begin listening for what the Lord is saying. So I'm going to challenge you. Let's do that. Who will consider the call? Have any of you thought of that? Maybe the Lord is calling me to some place besides Murray, Kentucky. We don't want to lose anybody, but we also want to be available to what the Lord is calling. Again, don't hear me neglecting the local mission. Quite the contrary. Local missions should be happening just by default, really, by what we're doing, the way that we live our lives, the things that we talk about with the people that we're around. We should always be sharing the gospel and all that we do and say. Foreign missions, on the other hand, have to be on purpose by their definition. We have to send people to places that aren't here. You have to do something that isn't ordinary. You have to go someplace that isn't normal for you. Brothers and sisters, let's pray that the Lord would raise up missionaries from here, from our number, right here, right now. That he would raise up missionaries from Redeemer Community Church. Be willing to accept that the one being sent could be you. Next point is that the goal will be accomplished. And so Paul and Barnabas, they are sent by the Holy Spirit, by this church in Antioch. It says that they go down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at this place called Salamis, which is like a city-state in the, on the island of Cyprus, on the extreme eastern end. And so as was their custom, they would immediately go to the synagogue and preach the gospel there to the Jewish people, to those who were considered the God-fearers, that they would, that they would preach the gospel. And it says that they literally preached throughout the whole island. Now you know if you look on the map, map, uh, the, the island of Cyprus isn't very big, but it says that they went to the city of Paphos, which is literally on the exact opposite end of the island. They did. They preached across the entire island. And it was there that they ran into some resistance. This man by the name of Bar-Jesus, which just means the son of Jesus or the son of Joshua. Jesus and Joshua were common names in Jewish culture. He's a magician, or claims to be at least. And he has this local governor, this pre-council named Sergius Paulus, who, who's kind of listening to him. And we, we read that Sergius Paulus is an intelligent man, uh, probably wants to know a lot about lots of religions. And so he calls in Barnabas and Saul to come tell him about Jesus, to come tell him about the gospel. And of course, this magician isn't going to have any of it. He preached against Jesus. So you kind of have this contest of words, which we've seen many times so far in this book of, in the book of Acts where you have one of the apostles preaching the word. You have someone that is 
uh, contesting that. Someone who is saying, no, Jesus is false, and they have this contest. One God being pitted against the true God of the Bible. And so in verse 10, Paul rebukes this magician. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Again, this makes us think back to Isaiah 40, Paul obviously borrowing from the imagery there. The goal of the gospel preacher is to bring comfort to the hearer. To not make them comfortable, don't hear that, but to bring the message of comfort, the message of Jesus Christ there. That comfort, again, Jesus. How do you get to Jesus? Repent and believe. The magician is making this straight path of repentance and belief in Jesus, the comforter, crooked. He is preaching a gospel other than that which Jesus preached. We have to be careful here. Something pretty incredible happens, though. Paul curses him, makes him blind, which is, that was what Paul was cursed with. I find that very interesting. It says that he cursed him. From this time forward, you will not be able to see the sun. And we're told that from that time forward, he had to find other people to lead him by the hand. Here he is trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord, and now he can't even see to go forward. What is Paul doing? He eliminates this roadblock that the magician had put in the way. What happens immediately? Verse 12, the preconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He saw the gospel, and at this point, the gospel comes to the whole island of Cyprus. So what we read here is that there's an obstacle of the word of God And the Lord eliminates it immediately. What does this have to do with us? When it comes to the idea of doing missions and sending out missionaries, we have these same kind of mental blocks in our head. What if it's dangerous? Obviously, we care about our own safety, particularly when the rest of the world seems particularly unsafe nowadays. Seems like the only safe place in the whole world is our own country. We get that a little bit. What if it's hard? What if we have the minister there for years and have no fruit? Brothers and sisters in the Middle East right now, ministering for years, seeing no fruit or very little fruit. I read a statistic in one of the countries that has like 9 million people After a hundred years of mission works there, there are 20 believers, not 20,000, 20. What if that happens? All of these things are possible, of course, but we do believe that God is capable of making it possible for the gospel to go out to the uttermost parts of the world. Are there really obstacles for God? Is God somehow thwarted by a crooked path that used to be straight? Does God have to rethink ever his path to victory? No. Was he ever thwarted by our own unbelief, our own insecurity? No. He is not thwarted. 
and his work to call his sheep to himself will 100% absolutely be accomplished. And those sheep will be from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Turn with me to Revelation 7. Oftentimes when I think of the work of foreign missions, and I think of all that needs to be done here, and how our own town, our own county, everything is struggling here, I go back to this passage that reminds me what the Lord is doing. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God. How does this happen? How is it that the Lord gathers for himself people from every tongue, tribe, and nation? Ultimately, of course, it's his doing. But who does he work through? You and I, he works through his people doing what they've been called to do, to take the word of God to the uttermost parts of the world. And he will eliminate obstacles. If we are that obstacle, he will not be thwarted. So brothers and sisters, let us examine our own hearts. If we're not actively participating in the work of missions, we're working against it. And so let us be actively participating. Consider how we as a church, Redeemer community, can partner with folks across the whole world to see the work of Jesus Christ come to pass. In the coming months, I hope to present us with some different opportunities from several different sources that we can see. So we can see what people are doing in the name of Jesus Christ across the world. In conclusion, again, the question to you, which ones of us is the Lord speaking to? Have these words stirred your heart? to consider God's call to missions. You've definitely been called, each one of us have been called, but to what end? Should you go yourself? Should you work and pray and fast to see that others are supported, just like the church in Antioch did? Brothers and sisters, let us endeavor all the more to find out how the Lord would have us participate in the mission to the world. May the Lord raise up some even from our own number to go out in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ into the lost world, that his name would be praised, that people would be saved. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we realize that even as we mention these things, even as we talk about being called to foreign mission fields, we, we immediately think about our own comfort and our own houses and our station here and our kids and everything that's going on in our lives because we are comfortable. So Lord, please help us to not 
desire that sort of comfort, but desire only the comfort that the gospel brings, and not only for ourselves, but also for anyone who would hear. Lord, help us to be those who send missionaries, even ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.